This is exactly right. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. It's 1943 in the Kingdom of Bulgaria. As the Second World War rages, King Boris dies suddenly and every nation is a suspect. The Butterfly King premieres March the 21st on Exactly Right. It's a cruel tale of a doomed royal dynasty. Somewhere, the truth is out there. Listen to The Butterfly King on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. And we are here with you, baby, to talk about films and other little whatnots. What's going on, Danielle? Well, there's something else going on that Mm. is related to film Mm. that I would love to talk to you about. Okay. Because today is the day that your book... TCM Underground, 50 must-see films from the world of classic cult and late-night cinema is released into the world. I mean, can we take a moment? Holy shit, I almost forgot. No, actually, I did not forget. Well, I was, I am so proud of you for writing this, first and oh, foremost. thank you. And I pre-ordered it, so it just showed up today, which is Aww. exciting. Um, I pre-ordered a bunch of copies because they are going out as holiday gifts and just general, like, they're going to be on my shelves, my bookshelf right next to my own books. Like, I'm very, very, very proud of you. Um, And I'm just really excited because this book is so cool and it's not stuffy and it's not like, like, it's, if you like our podcast, you will love this book. Um, Yes. Millie has a co-writer, of course, um, Quatoya Murray. Mm -hmm. Um, So we don't want to forget her, but I will say that this is a book that is in Millie's voice. It is in that same style. Toya writes in a very evocative style as well. So it's just fun and informative, just like our podcast is. Um, And I love it. I love it. But I wanted to, so I wanted to take some time at the top of the show to ask you about your experience of this book. So we know that you used a talisman to write it. But how did this book come together? Like, was it just, was it you pitching it to people? Was it someone came to you? Because you created TCM Underground. So tell us about that. Like, how did TCM Underground come to be? And then how did this book come to be? Sure. I'll do that. Yeah, so TCM Underground, for those of you who don't watch TV, classic cable programming, you know, my my day job is that I work for a network, Turner Classic Movies. And in 2006, I was at the network for like maybe two years or something. In 2006, they um, basically, uh, there was a, a, a guy that I worked with named Eric Weber, and he had this idea to do like a cult movie showcase, like late at night. And it was, you know, he and I, when I first started at TCM, he, you know, they, they, everybody that we worked with was like, you got to meet this guy because he loves like divine and like, um, 
pinky violence movies. Like, you know, he was basically like, you and him have to hang out. If Danielle was there, you'd be like, she'd be like buying a shot to be like, you two kiss. Um, <laughs> but it was that thing where people were just like, we were just like being put together because we liked all the same kind of cult stuff. And he was like, well, you know, I've p- been throwing around this idea for like maybe doing like a, a late night kind of, it was kind of a mix between, you know, like USA up all night meets uh, night flight, like that kind of thing. Cause you know, he and I are around the same age and we grew up on a lot of that like eighties yeah. middle of the night kind of weird movie programming. And then shortly after we talked about it, basically TCM decided to launch it and it came on at 2 AM on Friday nights, technically Saturday mornings still on. So it's been, I don't know how many years that is. What year are we in right now? It's hard to say. I've lost all cons- yeah. But so it's like, it's been on for a long time. And, um, Essentially, I've been the programmer for it because unfortunately for Eric, like he wasn't with the company very much longer after it launched. And so I was just kind of put there to program it and I've been doing it ever since. And then, I don't know, fast forward to pandemic and, you know, essentially I was asked if I would consider doing a a, a book about cult movies for TCM and... um. At the time, I had all the time in the world to write a book. <laughs> but then uh, six or seven months went by, and then the idea came back up. And then I was uh, living in my parents' guest bedroom, and you know all this other stuff was going on in the world. And so basically, I encouraged them to, to approach this woman, Katoya Murray, that I worked with at TCM, and she was young. She was a woman of color. She's cool as shit. And she loved cult movies. And I'm like, she would be perfect to write your book. Uh, and then at a certain point, she came back to them and said, actually, I live in France now. <laughs> so <laughs> what if we wrote this book together? And I was like, listen, two heads are better than one. Let's go. And we knocked that shit out. And it basically the book is that it's 50 titles. It's like a film reference guide, right? What mm-hmm. You know, I grew up on those books, you know, where before the internet, you'd have to like go to the library, like go to Tower Records to buy books where people reviewed movies and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then you'd put them on your watch list and then you'd rent the videos. That's how I worked. And so I grew up reading stuff like Danny Perry's cult movie books and like the Psychotronic Guide to Film and like video, video hounds, like cult movie guide. So I was a, I had grown up with books like that. And so I think when the idea came up, Toy and I were like, well, why don't we just write a book like that? Except we will, we'll just take titles that have aired as part of underground. And since it's aired for like so long, there's been 400 something titles. So she picked 25 and I picked 25 and we just went hard on each and just talked about them and why we loved them. And, you know, so that's the book. I absolutely adore it. And was was it hard to pick the titles? Like, did you have any kind of rhyme or reason to the movies that you did pick? Because there are so many to choose from. Yeah. And, you know, not just that there have been over 400 that have aired on on TCM Underground, but just in general, yeah. like you have such a wealth of knowledge about about cult movies and, and you know, kind of late night films. Yeah. No, that's a good question. It, it, listen, it was kind of like a mixture of things. It was... I won't speak entirely for Toya, but for me, when I was picking the 25 that I wanted to write about, it was like a mixture of like stuff that I just really wanted to 
talk about, like movies that I felt very strongly about or were, were very moved by, you know, mm-hmm. but also, you know, having been a a student of these cult movies books and cult movie canon in general, right. I was like, I'd love to go for some stuff that doesn't get written about a lot. Like, you know, yes, we know Eraserhead. Yes, we know, you know, whatever, like Pink Flamingos or, you know, all of this like classic midnight movie canon and i was just like well let's get in there and use our own personal experiences you know as women Mm -hmm. and let's see if we can just like add more titles to this general conversation about what a cult movie is and you know yeah and so and so at the end of the day the movies that i picked a lot of the stuff that i picked and that she picked were made by people of color were made by women were made by you know lgbtq directors so it was like and it wasn't intentional necessarily. It was just sort of like, that's just what we gravitated towards personally. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That makes perfect sense. And I think it's 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 cool that you are seeing this book as part of a larger discussion because it is. Like you're part of a a history that you yourself availed yourself of, like you said, like you grew up on these books. But I think that's the exact kind of thing that helps move you know, kind of a, a critical analysis forward is having different voices and different people involved in those conversations. And so you do that every week, even with your programming, where, you know, what you're considering a cult movie is something that might be completely new to people, but you're programming things that are, you know, beloved, but also things that are kind of like, I've never even heard of this, I've never seen this. And it's one of the joys of watching Underground. And so I'm glad that that came through in your book as well. Because it's really, it's it's interesting enough to me that, it, and I think that it's it's really fascinating and wonderful that you're able to be part of that conversation, but also push it forward um, just by being who you are. Like, it's very, very cool. Oh, thanks so much. That really means a lot. Because uh, as you know, this is the first book I've ever written. And I was shook <laughs> by, <laughs> end to end by this process. And you were invaluable for me just to like even call you and be like i'm thinking about quitting which i did like five or six times (laughs) um lots of tears very normal very normal (laughs) no it was listen it, it was truly helpful to know you to know people that have written books because you're just so in your own head when you're in this process at least for me i was like Oh my God. Like I, this is like, I feel it just felt like a monumental task. It felt yeah. like, um, I was going to do it wrong. I, I, there were times where, you know, might've been the talisman to be honest, but I had to like readjust what the expectations were for the book. Like where I was like, I'm so used to like going super hard. Mm-hmm. Like on like on that grad school way of like just getting real deep about stuff. And I would be sitting there and I'm like, this is only supposed to be like 1500 words. And I'm like, yo, I'm at like 6,000 words on one entry. And I'm like, calm down. <laughs> put, put that talisman in its bed. 
Like this is this is not the book for that. Like this is something different. You know what I mean? Right. Well, also, but that is also part of the process sometimes where I and I had to learn that like anyone who writes a book, I think, has to learn that that you have to get like the purge is a big part of it. You have to get it out of your head. Yeah. And then the mo- the bulk of the work for me always comes in the editing. Like I'd rather have too much to edit than not enough. Yeah. So I think it's cool that you had like a lot of words to say because you don't have to scrap those words. I think it's smart that you thought they're just not going in this book. Like this book is something else. Well, and that's the other part that I almost <laughs> cried and almost quit called you about is the editing part. Cause that was, that was really tough. I mean, I have definitely had my work edited before. I mean, I, uh, you know, at my job every day, my work, my creative work gets put up to, you know, scrutiny by people in my department, by my bosses. So I'm not like super precious about things. Like I can mm-hmm. take criticisms and I'm, I'm, I think I'm okay with it, with being told that maybe I need to rethink something or do something differently. Right. But it was like at a level, it was so intense. And I've, like I said, I've never experienced writing a book like, or at all. So I was like, I, felt very emotional about it. Like when you get 60,000 words back and then it's like people in the margins being like, it's not even like you spelled wrong. It was like, this doesn't make sense. What are you doing? And I'm like, (laughs) oh my God. And I just like would like lose it. I would lose my shit because I wasn't used to that kind of all in one sitting, I guess. Right. And I remember calling you and, and you were like, Girl, it's fine. Like, you can't expect to just write a book and then they're like, okay, this is perfect. Publish. You know, like, editors exist for a reason. You know, they want to make your book better. So. Now, is 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 there something, is there like one or two movies that you absolutely loved writing about for this book? Uh, yeah. Now I'm trying to remember what... <laughs> I'm like, that oh, happened God. the other day. We were on TV. Like, so we did a, a shoot with TCM and Alicia Malone, one of our hosts, you know, and we had to, you know, basically be on camera. And she was asking us all these questions. And I remember she said something like, yeah, so like, let us like, what are some other films in the book that you <laughs> really liked? And Toy and I looked at each other. And we were like, uh, we forgot what we wrote about. Like, because we were <laughs> like, like so brain dead. <laughs> You're like, ma'am, we wrote this book in a fugue state from two different continents. And uh... <laughs> I fucking completely forgot about half the shit. Um, for me, like, I loved writing about this movie called The Baby. Ooh. From 1973. It is wild. It's it's a wild film. I remember when it aired on Underground, one of my coworkers, like he was a producer, came up to my desk like the next day and was like, so I saw this movie called The Baby last night and I heard that you programmed it. And I just want to say, I don't know if I'm a bad person or a good person right now. I sat through it and was like, what am I, how do I feel about myself? It like re, it reoriented his entire moral (sighs) center. But it's essentially about a um, a grown man who is a baby. <laughs> <laughs> For lack of, that is truly just the core of the film, and so I had a lot of good 
a lot of good uh, times thinking about that. Rewatching that movie especially was a trip. I wrote about The Silent Partner. We talked about that yeah. on the podcast. I wrote about Possession. Uh, nice. Andre uh, Zulowski's film, which having to sit there and watch that movie several times was wild. <laughs> I felt like I was on another planet. So there was a lot of enjoyable moments. I mean, you know, honestly, when it came down to it, I was like, oh my God, it's so easy to write about book- movies that I like. You know what I mean? That's like, awesome. So... Yeah, that was that was it. But I love that. That's fa- that's fantastic. I think that's great. But I just think that it's really it's interesting and cool that from what I know, just from having talked to you about this book, that I'm going to be able to read about movies that I've never seen or think like it will introduce new stuff to me. And I think that's a big part of your your ethos is like kind of introducing people to things that they normally wouldn't consider. So it's yeah great to have it in book form well thank you and like honestly i think this is like something that i hope comes through in the book i hope comes through in underground maybe is that you know i like obviously i'm very much appreciative of the cult canon of the stuff that like we all know as cult movies right the the midnight movie stuff that we all grew up with, but also just like going to places like the new Beverly and, you know, seeing kind of cult films with audiences, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I feel like there's so many movies that get kind of left out of those type of places because I think there's a lot of like cult movies. There's a lot of men and they ultimately decide Mm -hmm. on what gets shown and what gets preserved and what gets put back out there. And I feel like that's changing. So the stuff that I grew up watching, like the Herschel Gordon Lewis movies and like the Russ Meyer movies and that kind of stuff, you know, Ray Dennis Steckler, like all these directors are incredible films. Like they're incredible movies and I still love watching that kind of stuff. You know, Dario Argento and Mm -hmm. Lucio Fulci, like all these directors that I grew up with, but I also feel like there's room for other things too. And I feel like, especially when it comes to like melodrama and yes. women's stories, like there's an incredible book by uh, Kayla Janice called The House of Psychotic Women. And it's basically this, uh, it's like half memoir, but half like film reference guide for like movies about women who are quote unquote crazy. And she goes into these really interesting areas talking about like movies like images and let's share, let's scare Jessica to death and like secret ceremony, which I wrote about in, in our book. And I just feel like those are like movies that I would love to see more of as part of cult canon is stuff about, you know, Toya in our book wrote, wrote a lot about, she wrote about like black directors and, she wrote about Ga- Ganjan Hess, but she she there's an entry about I'm gonna get you sucka. And like mm-hmm. it's like stuff where, you know, we could be having this conversation together. It doesn't have to be like, well, if it, you know, just because like it's not an 80s action movie, it doesn't belong in a rep house or right. as part of like a cult movie canon. I think there's a lot of room, but it has to be sometimes brought into the mix by people of diversity 
if you know what I exactly. mean. Exactly. Well, that's again, like I think that's part of like I think you you are allowed to just have the space to write about whatever you want, and you have the clout and the cred to do anything you want. But I what I really love and think this is such a great and huge accomplishment for that reason is that you are bringing your whole self to this book. Um, you know, you and Toya both, and so it does give instantly. It's a very different book from most cult movie books because you're bringing your whole self to it. And that's not to be discounted. And I think it's incredibly important. And I'm just so unbelievably proud of you, you. because it's it matters. It matters a lot. And I think, you know, I've said this before, but I truly mean it, that you are you are going to be to someone what all those other books were for you. So... I think that's cool that somebody will pick this up and read it and be seen in a way that they have not been seen before. Yeah. And start to develop their own film language as a result. And I think that is incredibly, that's something to be, to be incredibly proud of. Well, thanks. I mean, it's it's heavy and only in the sense that I'm like, wow, time is a bitch. Like, I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, it feels like yesterday that I was in high school, like, desperate for culture and, you know, looking to just do anything that was transgressive or shocking. Or like, you know, we talked about that a little bit in the Clockwork Orange episode. I just wanted to be around weird things, mm -hmm. right? And I wanted to like know city people and I wanted to like go to weird corners of, of you know, like punk rock bars and weird old movie theaters and that's just how I wanted to live my life when I was a teenager. And so, like, it's crazy that enough time has passed that <laughs> now I'm, like, an adult and I'm, like, writing my own thing about it, you know? Yeah. And, God, somebody actually, like, a while ago, I think this was, like, a couple years ago, even a, a guy came up to me and was like, I've been watching TCM Underground my whole life. And I'm like, no, you haven't. And he's like, it's been like 16 years since you started. Like, and I was like, holy shit. Like, how old are you? And he's like, I'm like 23. And I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. I mean, that's conceivable <laughs> that you've been watching this show like your whole, like you, he was like a little kid when it yeah. came on. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to freak the fuck out right now. What the fuck is going on? And I just was like, mind-blowing because you just time passes you know and you don't even realize it so i love it i and this and this is a, it's something that i think i also try, try to impart and, and and it's advice that i always need whenever i sit down to write anything but particularly a book if the book that you need or needed isn't available then you have to write it like, if the book that you needed as a teenager is not on a shelf somewhere, then you have to write it. Yeah. And you did that. Yeah. I, I often think sometimes like it would have been different to have had, I'm just going to use the term gatekeepers for, like, lack of a better term. But if I had had more women gatekeepers in my life, like, it just wasn't the reality from when I was growing up. Like, I knew this, like, one cool lady who was like at every cool show and she was like a, a radio DJ. She was in her forties and she was like 
she had like that kind of life where like she was like she used to be a burlesque dancer and she used to be best friends with the cramps and she was like you know this kind of like just the type of person you needed when you were like 17 yeah right but she was pretty much the only one like there, there might have been one other but for the most part all the people that i sat there and followed around town were guys you know what mm -hmm. i mean because they were like oh they're the guys working at the record stores they're the people working at the video stores they're you know they're the ones that you're like you're just sitting there and like listening to like talk their smack you know what i mean mm -hmm. and i just thought and i was like what if like if i had had more women in that world like if there were women who were writing books like this or working in video stores and record yeah. stores like it might have been a little different it might not have been as hard or felt exactly hard, you know yeah exactly it could have been a little more freeing and you know i think the only person that i knew for a long time who was doing that was pauline kale and she was in such a specific category yeah and you know it's, it's nice to have more and local and consistent access to to women who kind of encourage you and show you the way and show you that it can be done yeah I uh, I think now everything's so different, though. I mean, I feel like there, I don't even know if people like, like you know, everybody just processes information so quickly and so readily on the internet that it's just a different way of 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 learning. But yeah, that was yeah. everything for me. And so yeah, it's been it's wild. It's wild to be like to have finished a book. I, I honestly didn't think I was gonna make it. I mean, you. <laughs> We talked about this so much. I was like, that's it. I remember going, I need an extension. I need an extension. And uh, my co-writer was like, no, you don't. You'll be fine. You're going to do it in the time. And I'm like, no, dude, I need like another six months. And she's like, no, you got this. And so it was great. She was a great person to write with because like you said, we have the same sensibilities. We didn't have any drama when it came to that. Like she was like, here's my 25. I think maybe we overlapped with like two films. Nice. And I and I think she gave me one and I gave her one. Like so it didn't we didn't even fight over the titles and it was great. Like it was a great experience doing it with her. And I'm happy for her too. Like she, you know, I'm so glad that she's a part of this because she's a black woman who loves cult films. She needs her perspective needs to be out here. You know what yeah. I mean? Like voices like hers need to be amplified and you know, I'm just, I'm so glad that she's got this opportunity to shine. So, yeah. Uh, I love it. Well, folks, this book is out today. TCM Underground, 50 must-see films from the world of classic cult and late-night cinema. It is out today. Go buy it. Order it. Indie bookstores, whatever you need to do. But look, get one of these books. Order it now. Go pick it up today and start Start thinking about holiday gifts and birthday gifts. Like, this is the kind of thing that is such a great gift to get. Like, it will open up someone's world and give them 50 nights of things to do if they so choose. Yeah. Do we give Halloween gifts? Halloween is literally around the corner. Perfect timing. But, um... Oh, my God. Order 100 of these and start throwing them in Halloween bags. Freak those <laughs> kids out. Have some eight-year-old watching Possession. These kids are going to be like, they didn't even give us toothbrush and toothpaste this year. They gave <laughs> us a fucking book. We're never going to that house again. <laughs> like, it is truly 
the most old person gift of old people <laughs> gifts for a Halloween <laughs> gift, but try it. I want someone to try it. Just try it. See how it goes. Well, thank you, Danielle, for your support. I really appreciate it. Like I said, you were, I consulted you at so many times during this process. You were in, you were invaluable to me. Uh, and you really helped me out with like getting through it. And I just really appreciate your wisdom and your knowledge and your perspective. And guess what? We're now both published authors. We can say yeah. that about our podcast. So Fuck yeah, we are. Oh, I'm so proud. And I knew you could do it. And I'm so proud of you. And again, it'll, it'll happen again. This is the first of many from you. Shit. Maybe we ought to write one together sometime. What? I'm down. Yeah, we're definitely writing about bars. We'll <laughs> just write about us hanging out in bars. <laughs> It's a book about bars. And then the publisher's going to be like, um, so we have 45 bar tabs from across the country <laughs> that are extraordinary. And we've only seen 10 words from you. And we keep getting pictures of Daniel's breasts in the mail. Yes. And we don't know what to do with them. I'd fucking write a book about toes with you. That would I know. Be so fun. I'd write a book matter. about anything with you. We should totally do it. Well, you ready to do this episode? Hell yeah, I am. Dude, Halloween is literally days away. And we always do a Halloween episode, I feel like. I know this yeah. is our second Halloween. So if we did one last year and we did one this year, that means we always do a Halloween episode. <laughs> By my calculations, that seems accurate. It's um, a liter in a literal sense. Yeah, and let me fucking tell you, folks, we are about to have a fucking blast with these two. I cannot wait to talk about these movies. Well, do you want to first tell them what the theme is? Oh, hell yeah. I would love nothing more. Our theme is very simple, but very effective. We are doing killer kid movies for Halloween. So many to choose from. We know you're out there screaming your head off right now. Like, why didn't you pick this one? There were, we, it was hard to narrow down. Dude, first of all, I'm sure there are entire letterbox lists of movies about killer kids. So don't send those to us. However, <laughs> I have to say, these two are, are top class. Grade A premium killer kid films. I'm sorry to say it. But it is true. I completely agree. And I'm not sorry to say it. I think these are, this is possibly our best double feature of all time. Um, oh, yeah. I think that these are classic entries into the world of killer kids. And I cannot wait to talk about both of them. Yeah. But I particularly cannot get over how much I laughed at your movie. Oh, I know. I said the same thing about your movie, where I was like, is this movie actually scary to people? Because I cannot <laughs> stop laughing. I haven't seen it in so long. I completely forgot. I think I for, I remember the first like 15 minutes of the film and then just I might have just dissociated for the rest. But I was like, I don't remember any of this stuff. It is so over the top. So fucking funny. And I just was like, it is a joy. Like, I cannot stop thinking about your movie, honestly. I know. Um, but... I want to ask you right off the bat, just to, just to get this out of the way, because I want to know, are you 
terrified of killer kids? Like the concept, is that something that's funny or scary to you? This is where I reveal just how terrible of a person I am. It's funny to me if they're little kids, like if they're toddlers. Agreed. A hundred percent. A killer toddler is absolutely hilarious. hundred percent. Like a baby with a weapon. It's, it's just so, it's, it's, I'm stumbling here, but like there's no synchronicity there. Like I can't, it's so out of place that it's instantly funny. Because it's so out of place to see, like, a baby with a weapon, a baby with murderous thoughts, a baby with, like, any intent on yes. anything, like, a baby making a decision. Like, those are all funny things to me. Yeah. In the context of films, by the way. Yes. We are obviously talking about real life. That's some other. That's a whole other world. We're talking about in film. Look, we, we just talked about it. How many times have killer babies and children been presented to us in the context of film? There's so many. Exactly. And each time, I'm like, are y'all serious with this? Like, there is no fucking way that this is serious. Like, this is funny as shit to me. And I, and I don't know why. And, I, I'm, and I'm, I'm here to tell you, for me too, like, the smaller they are, the funnier it is. And I don't, I, I don't know. Absolutely. And it's not even, and then here's what's weird too. Like when you think about, there are some movies that ride that line. Cause I know at one point I had thought about um, choosing The Good Son for this theme, uh-huh. the Macaulay Culk and Elijah Wood movie. And those are kids, but that is some evil shit going on in that movie. Like it's right. hard to laugh at some of that shit. Like when he throws that fucking thing over the overpass. And I'm like, that's too real because I'm an adult who drives. So like, that's right. too too scary. Like, so I think that's when, they, like you said, when they start getting older and riding that line, they're still killer kids technically, but it's a little too, too much. But a baby who kills is always going to be funny to me. <laughs> well, I think we got two of the finest killer babies we've ever seen <laughs> uh, on film. And um, I think you're going first this week. Thank God, because I am raring to go. <laughs> So my film was released in 1976. The screenplay is by David Seltzer. It was directed by Richard Donner. My movie is The Omen. This is not a human child. Make no mistake. Oh my God! (laughs) The Omen, dude. The Omen. The Omen is a fucking classic. Now, this might have been another movie that I've seen too young because it's one of my mom's favorites. So I remember seeing it when I was a little kid, as with mm-hmm. most scary films I saw. And even as a little kid, I don't remember mo- most much of it. I just remember feeling like it was scary, largely because of the soundtrack. Like the soundtrack to this movie is some Latin chanting chorus, deep, dark shit. So over the top, dude. So over the top. <laughs> it's so over the top. And it's so good. And it's so, it fits, the, it helps elevate the movie in a way to a different, more comical space, um, which I don't think was the intention. But this movie, great stars. Um, we've got Gregory Peck playing Robert Thorne. And look, we all know how I feel about Gregory Peck. I was going to say, right off the bat, I need to know, would you hit? In this film. Again, would destroy the dick. <laughs> Gregory Peck at any age can get it. I thought of you because there's a part that I 
fucking love and rewound like about a hundred times, which is when he sings happy birthday. And I was like, is Danielle still, is she, is her loin still aflame? Even as he's singing happy birthday. Oh God. <laughs> and apparently well, some, the answer is yes. So answer is yes. Answer is yes. Gregory Peck, gr- a little gray, a little tired, little, little tan absolutely would still destroy that dick (laughs) my apologies to his family (laughs) again (laughs) one day i will be able to talk about him without mentioning his penis but the day ain't today (laughs) and lee remick is also in this film um Lee Remick was nominated for an Academy Award for the, the Day of Wine and Roses. Um, mm-hmm. She was in Anatomy of a Murder. She died really young, like tragically, of kidney cancer at 55. But she was awesome in this movie. You've got David Warner, who you will absolutely recognize, has been in so many films. And he plays a photographer named Jennings. Billy Whitelaw, who plays Mrs. Baylock. And then the introduction of Harvey Stevens as Damien, who is... The fucking Antichrist. So let me tell you, (laughs) here is my one sentence synopsis. After their baby tragically dies during birth, a devil-possessed priest convinces a couple to adopt the Antichrist, leaving out the small detail that it's the Antichrist. (laughs) (laughs) I am so... So many thoughts about this. I mean, that syn- that synopsis is insane. Right. Like, think about that. Think about what you just said. <laughs> There's so much going on. This movie, I will say, and I, re- I went back and read a couple of reviews from when it came out in 76, and Roger Ebert and, like, the New York Times and a bunch of people were just like, this movie is slow and unscary. Like, there is so much room that they use to tell us the plot. And I'm like, yeah, but I love it. Because it's it's... Again, like I said about a, another movie recently, it might not be good, but it is fun. Yeah. And I think this movie is both. I think it's good fun. I think it is a good fun movie. Um, and also the director, Richard Donner, which is wild to think about. Like he he directed Scrooge. He directed The Goonies. He directed all of the Christopher Reeve Supermans. And his right. first movie after The Omen was Superman. Right. Like, he's just, a, again, a very well-revered um, director and has really directed a lot of the films from our youth, <laughs> including <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy because it's like, okay, you've got like a, we're in a post-exorcist world, basically, where everybody yeah. was all up on that devil possession shit. Like, people loved it. Like, I mean... We've never talked about The Exorcist on the podcast before, but it was like a sensation when it came out. Absolutely. So you have to assume that this is what The Omen, it was just in the wake of all that stuff. And then you have Richard Donner being this director and he's done so many, like subsequently done so many fucking movies of our childhood. And you're just like, oh, and then he did this crazy movie about the Antichrist being a little kid. (laughs) You know, it's just like, what the fuck? And it's so good. And it's it's so, like like you said, culture, the cultural moment that this movie came out in is important because I think, you know, we're looking at 1976. So we're also at a moment where 
you know, we're coming up on the summer of Sam and, you know, we're just past the hippie movement. And, you know, there was just a lot of a lot of people questioning a lot of shit um, that they had been told was pretty standard for all the decades leading up to the 70s. So it was just a really like people were definitely starting to question religion in more um, in bigger ways and kind of more obvious ways. And I think these films all play into that too, like The Exorcist, The Omen. Um, it's kind of like this this wave of people questioning the role of religion in their own lives. Yeah. Did you think The Exorcist was scary when you saw it? Fuck yeah, it's still Me too. scary. Me too. And I can't tell you why. I can't tell you why The Omen is funny and The Exorcist is scary to me. And I'm just yeah. saying from a Catholic perspective, like I should be terrified of both. I guess there's a lot of Catholic shit in both these movies, but I don't know. There's so there's the exorcist. I think maybe because it was the first one, it, it has a different setup, obviously a little bit less in the music department, maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, we also <laughs> got like that Max von Sydow element and oh, yeah. he just brings a gravitas and a creepiness that yeah. cannot be contained. And Linda Blair was astonishing in that role. And I think it was scary because there was so much about it that was unpredictable and that we hadn't quite seen up to that point. Like not Correct. just the really graphic stuff, but like yeah. just the notion of an exorcist on its own was like scary to me. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I just was curious about that because I feel like those movies get ta- these movies get talked about together a lot. So I just wondered. Yeah, and I've met yeah. some evil little kids. Like we were little kids. I'm like I've met plenty <laughs> of kids that I thought were the fucking antichrist. <laughs> I've never met one that was possessed by. <laughs> I was by not the antichrist. I was awesome. I was like a real good. No, I'm kidding. Um, but I wasn't the Antichrist for sure. I There was kids way worse than me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And look, I'm going to say right off the bat that this whole movie, in a nutshell, is about the instant karma of not telling your wife that your baby died in childbirth. If he had just simply said, yo, our baby died, no movie. Yep. No movie. That is, I think, an interesting connection point between our two movies if we're going yep. there is it's all about men's secrets absolute men lying to their goddamn wives about something that 100 should have been discussed yes <laughs> in both films <laughs> like dealing with their emotional strife by concealing major life-altering things from their from their partners damn we get deep on this podcast i love it Right? Well, I'm about to get a little not deep when I talk about this because (laughs) let me tell you, the opening of this movie is so great. So you've got Gregory Peck in this hospital. He lives in Italy. He's a diplomat. His wife gives birth and the baby dies. And this priest, this wild priest comes out of nowhere and is like, look, adopt this baby. And there's like a nun holding a little baby with a, a little head full of hair. And she's like, He's like, adopt this baby. It looks like you. And also, don't tell your wife. And let me just tell you, babies look like nothing. Yeah. When he said this baby looks like you, I'm like, that baby could have grown up to look like Andre the Giant or like the lead (laughs) singer from Simply Red. Like, you can't keep that ruse going too long. Yeah, that that uh, I I truly couldn't believe that Gregory Peck thought this was an option. Totally. Totally. So you can't funny. make decisions like that that deep in grief. 
Like you're just at the beginning of your deep grief. You can't be deciding to bring in a whole other stunt baby into the mix. Yeah, exactly. And religious folks are just out here doing some fuck shit with adoptions in too many movies. I don't know if you saw Three Perfect Strangers, that documentary. Oh, yeah. God, I haven't, it's been a long time since I've seen that, but yeah. Religious people are out here doing too much fuck shit with babies with, when it comes to adoptions. And I think the only solution, which I know was not available in, in the 70s when this movie came out, but I'm wondering why it hasn't happened yet or if it should happen. I know there are a lot of ethics involved in this, but we got to start microchipping babies in the womb. <laughs> you got to fucking chip that baby like we do a cat or a dog or interspace it. Interspace oh, yeah. it, fucking inject some shit into it so that when you wake up from your fucking hours of labor and somebody puts a baby on your chest, you can like wave a wand and be like, this ain't my baby. Sorry. I know for a fact this ain't my baby. Yeah, that it that is terrifying to me. Like, especially when I watched that Three Perfect Strangers documentary, because I was just thinking, like, how we we live in the modern era. This can't still be a problem. Like, right. how in the hell are people mixing up babies? This is crazy, right? And intentionally doing so. That movie threw me for a goddamn loop. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So the Thorns, you know, Catherine and Robert Thorne have a baby, and they're fine with it. And then. One, and Damien grows up fast and happy, um, but, he, you know, <laughs> Robert comes home one day and he's like, uh, I have a new job and we're moving to London tomorrow. And I'm like, see, that couldn't be me in the 70s. I need I need feminism. That could not be me. Yeah. Like, oh, we're moving tomorrow for your job? You gonna have to leave me behind and let me go see the Trevi Fountain one more time and get a fucking cappuccino. Like, I, I, that could not be me. Yeah. Rome is pretty great i have to say yeah yeah you gotta leave me there um but you know they're gonna go and so again damien's growing up fast and happy but this is where the red flags start coming up so the red flags start coming up that here's some signs that like you know your your kid might be the antichrist um (laughs) first this dog shows up and he's like a hound he's like the dog that talked to son of sam and this dog shows up and just starts giving people the evils. Like he gives the, the, the they're the birthday party. This dog looks at this fucking nanny, gives her the evils. And then the next thing you know, that nanny is jumping off of the roof and hanging herself in front of all the kids. Okay. There are, there's a lot of dog. There's a lot of dogs in this film. Like, and, and part of me is like, I had to remind myself at several points during the movie where I was like, Oh, this is taking place in Italy, but it is not an Italian movie. No. Because I'm like, this is like a giallo movie. This entire movie feels like a giallo movie, but it wasn't made by an Italian director. (laughs) It was made by Richard Donner, director of Superman. And I was just like, why are there so many fucking dogs around? This is like some giallo shit. Italians got problems with dogs, by the way. (laughs) I'm going to tell you that right now. They got like a lot of like weird things with dogs. In movies? Yeah, like in a lot of movies and just I've seen a lot of Italian movies where like dogs are ripping people to fucking shreds and like getting their eyeballs poked out and shit. Like, I don't know what's going on with Italians and dogs, but I'm just saying like that's why I was like, what what kind of movie am I watching right now? I forgot. You are Italian. So I can say it with all authority. Yes. Italians are weird with dogs. (laughs) 
Well, this dog is especially weird. He's like a telepathic motherfucker. And he comes in and this nanny just jumps down and kills herself. And everyone's like, oh my God, grab the kids. And, you know, the thorns, they pick up Damien and they hug him. And then the dog just looks at Damien and he gives a little wave. And I'm like, the fact that that kid is not afraid of that dog, check to see if he's the Antichrist, first and foremost. Then they're in cahoots. They're in cahoots. In cahoots. And then in between red flags, we get to meet Father Brennan, who is in a fucking flurry. He runs in and he's like, yo, your kid is the Antichrist. I was there when he was born and you got to kill him. (laughs) And Robert's like, absolutely not. Like he's in denial for so much of this movie. Oh, yeah. And Father Brendan is like, no, seriously, you you got to kill him. And he's like, peace, I am not talking to you, you're wild. The second red flag is after this event with the first nanny, another nanny shows up. Ooh. And her name is Mrs. Baylock. And the first thing she says is, I'm here to protect, to protect you. That's the first thing she says to Damien. But prior to that, she shows up at the house and... The parents are like, okay, you seem cool. And she's like, hey, leave me alone with that kid for a minute. Like, don't don't introduce me to him. I'll introduce myself. And then as after she leaves, they realize neither one of them hired her. Yeah. So she's like, let me be alone with your kid. So at first when you're watching, you're like, oh, is she going to kill that kid? And then she says the I'm here to protect you thing. Yeah. So he's got a dog protector and like a white witch protector. Yeah, who wasn't hired by either the parents. And I guess this is the 70s. They're like, I guess we'll just leave this woman alone with our child. Yeah. We don't care. Yeah, she's like, she's like, oh, yeah, I came from an agency. And they're like, all right. Sounds, sounds legit. So she comes through and she's not your typical governess, your typical nanny. She will not take Damien to church, first and foremost. Like, she just flat out ignores their wishes right away. And Gregory Peck is like, you better dress that kid and take him to goddamn church. Like, you got five minutes. And so they dress him like Mr. Peanut and put him in the back of the car. (laughs) And as they get closer to the church, he starts bugging out and he attacks his mom and they fucking skid the fuck out of there. And then after the attack, Robert says, (laughs) Robert says to Catherine, do you want me to call a doctor? And she's like, no, I'm fine. And he's like, oh, I meant for Damien. Like, not not considering her at all with her fucking scratched up face and this fucking weird dog. And then Mrs. Baylock moves the dog into the house as a watchdog. So she's just like, I'm not listening to y'all. So if you have a nanny that shows up out of nowhere that you didn't hire who insists on bringing in this fucking hellhound to watch your child, that child might be the Antichrist. Also, Damien windmilled his own mother roadhouse style in the car and thank you (laughs) she's got a visible bruise on her face he kicked the shit out of her oh yeah i was like he really didn't want to go to church i get that but at the same time yo you put you laid hands on your mom that bruise is huge dude yeah that cannot be explained easily nor should it it's that super antichrist strength man he was he was juiced he was He's juicing. He was juiced on fear of not wanting to go into a damn church. Um, (laughs) The other red flag, which I just find interesting, they don't go into too much detail about, but I just think it's fascinating, is he's never been sick. Babies get sick at the drop of a fucking hat. If you have a child who's four or five years old and they've never been sick, I I would say check that kid for 666 tattoos. (laughs) 
Yeah. Kids have like hand, foot, and mouth disease like every five minutes. Something going on there. Kids bring back diseases, like things that were long dormant. And then it's like, (laughs) oh, this school has (laughs) this horrible disease. The Black Plague. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, the plague is back because this one school had it. Because these kids (laughs) just ate a bunch of fucking like cat piss-filled sand at the playground and now we have the plague again like kids bring long dormant diseases back is that typical for antichrist mythology by the way that they don't get sick the antichrist doesn't get sick that's what i found interesting because i don't know i've never heard that before in antichrist mythology but i'm also not that well versed in it so i'm not (laughs) sure look you're talking to somebody who knows little to nothing about how (laughs) the rules of the antichrist i'm like oh i guess they're just healthy healthy as a horse I mean, it's it's not as clear as vampires, where I could look at the Lost Boys and be like, nah, this is not the mythology at all. Antichrist might get sick. They might never get sick. I just think it's super sus. If you have a child that is never sick, that ain't right. That ain't right. Uh Uh-huh. Do you remember when we were kids and our parents used to, like, force us to play with kids who were sick so we would get, like, chicken pox and shit? I think they still do that. Yeah. But, like... I, rem- I just remember people being like, you're sick. Oh, well, go out in that world and make it happen. Oh, yeah. I remember when when they would try to do these like chicken pox parties and stuff where people were like, let's get all the kids chicken pox now so we don't have to worry about it later. And I'm like, that's kind of fucked up. But you know what? I get it. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But it's just it's weird how when we were kids, every illness was seen as something that was fortifying. Yeah. Like we're going to Voltron you up over time. And I'm like. You could still get it again. Like, what the shit, dude? You're not fortifying anything. You're just getting us sick. Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. Um, <laughs> then we're getting to my favorite. One of, one of my favorite scenes. I have two scenes in this movie that I absolutely love. Oh my God. Um, Damien and his mom go to the zoo. And it's a drive through <laughs> zoo. And shit pops off so instantaneously. As their car is traveling through the baboon enclosure, they get fucking attacked these baboons are like jumping on the car they're scratching they're freaking them out and with their big square mouths and like they're just freaking the fuck out and it is so funny how much she's like she just motors out of there and she's like i don't understand what's happening when she gets home I think this is why this is my favorite scene. Because when she gets home, Robert's like, oh, you're being really quiet. And she's like, I got run up on by fucking baboons. (laughs) Like, you would take a minute to digest that also. Yeah, that was a terrifying scene. I mean, it was funny because, you know, animals are yelling and stuff at them, which... (laughs) I'll just again, I maybe I'm there's something deeply wrong with me that I laughed at this movie instead of being scared. But I was like, this is like the owner of a lonely heart video up in here. Like people are getting <laughs> animals are like jumping on their backs and going ape shit, literally ape shit. And I'm like, this is the Antichrist. This is what he's doing. He's making all this shit happen. This is what he's doing. And this is where finally the mom starts to be sus, where she's yeah. like, something is not right. Every time I'm around this kid, something fucked happens. So yeah. Robert's still in like a bit of denial. But Catherine's like, no, this kid is fucked. I don't know what is wrong with him. And she still thinks it's her own son. Yeah. So it's like oh, really God. confounding for her. But she's like, all right, every time I'm around this kid now, some shit happens. But don't worry, because Robert is going to meet with this creep priest again, Father Brennan. 
Because Father Brennan just very quickly is like, you got to meet me in this park or your wife is going to die. And like anyone would go and be like, what are you talking about? So then Father Brennan is like, all right, you have to go to a town called Megadoo in a place called Jezreel where the fish swim backwards and the clock strikes 17. It's like all these steps involved. (laughs) And he's like, by the way, your wife is pregnant and Damien is going to kill all y'all. But don't worry. Because if you go to this town and do this ritual and get these fucking tools, you can kill him. But his whole thing is basically like, you got to kill your own son. And Robert's like, I don't want to kill my own son. He's like, he's not a child. He's a fucking antichrist. (laughs) Like, you got to kill him. I know you think of him as your son, but he ain't. He ain't your son. But that whole scene is fucking hilarious because it's just this like sweaty priest being like, all right, at the strike of 12, you have to dance backwards and turn around three times and then (laughs) impale your child. (laughs) It's like so many steps to get rid of the Antichrist. Yeah, these priests are out here saying the wildest shit. All throughout this entire movie, this is like if a priest is in the frame, you know he's about to say something wild. Absolutely. Or get killed because almost immediately there's like a small windstorm, like a freak windstorm. And Brennan is impaled by a church steeple standing up. It is fucking hilarious. That is like one of my favorite things in like horror movies is when somebody who gives a lot of important information immediately dies afterwards. I love it. It's so funny to me. I love it. (laughs) They do it all the time in horror movies. And I'm like, yep, good thing he got all that info out because he literally got impaled. And they do it twice in this movie. Yeah. They do it twice in this movie. <laughs> so basically, Catherine reveals that she is, in fact, pregnant. And without even knowing that her kid is the Antichrist, she's like, yo, I got to have an abortion. I can't be having another kid if this is what they're like. <laughs> yeah. Like, I can't do this shit. Um, and Damien's like, no problem. Let me help you. And he tries to kill her with his tricycle. He d- she's like on a stool trying to do something. And he runs into her and like pops her over a banister and she falls to the ground. That's why you don't have hanging plants. Right? Along the edge of a railing. That's it. Was, that's what I think she was doing, right? She's like yeah. watering a plant. I was watering like, a plant. what are you doing right now? He's coming through like fucking Danny from The Shining. Exactly on the lookout like on the hunt for his mom it doesn't slow down at all but she's like holding on and trying not to fall and he just like gets off his tricycle and looks at her hands and is like bye (laughs) it's almost it's almost worse that he does nothing like he doesn't try to like peel her fingers back or like hoist her up he just sits there and looks at her like oh well look at your life now and she just falls to the ground it's like so creepy and hilarious. Oh my God. Oh, totally. Like you're right about him doing nothing being worse than him. Like taking her grippy fingers and like pull, <laughs> pulling around. It's like, no, I'm just going to sit here and wait till you fall. I'm just going to, I'm going to let you do it. I'm going to let you do yourself. I'm not exactly. going to help. <laughs> I'm going to let gravity take care of you. How about that? <laughs> Me and gravity are tight. <laughs> oh Shit. God. And then, then we get to meet. Cause you know, this is all happening. And then we get to meet the photographer. The photographer is played by David Warner. His name is Jennings. And Robert and Jennings meet up and the Jennings has put it all together. He's like, I've been taking pictures all over this fucking city with you, about you and your family. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are shadows in all of these pictures forecasting a bunch of deaths. So like the, when the priest was impaled, there's a shadow of a 
spike going through him. Um, and he's like, oh, by the way, that priest has 666 marks on his inner thigh. And he covered his room with pages of the Bible. And he had 47 crosses because he was trying to keep something out. He also kept a diary about you. And your kid was born on 666. Oh, and I'm in, I'm in this. The reason I'm involved in this is because I also have a spike of death photo of myself, too. Yeah, that was wild because I got to admit, the the ramp up to this was a little confusing. I'm like, why is he like looking at, what's he like looking at these photographs? I felt like I was in that yeah. uh, Antonioni movie blow up where I'm like, why is he <laughs> developing photos? And then he's like, look, scratching them and looking. I was like, what is this shit? And then I realized, oh, it's because there's like antichrist messaging in these mm-hmm. photographs. In the picture, it's in the, the devil is in the details. Yeah. Legit. Mm-hmm. And, I just I also just appreciate that everyone in this movie who has any information to impart about Damien has to give it in paragraph forms. It's never just like that kid's weird. It's like he's weird. He has a fucking tattoo. You should look at this. Also that. Also this. Also that. Like they're just like nonstop font of information about the, like there's never just like a single fact about Damien. It's just like here's all this shit about Damien. There's levels to this Antichrist shit, for sure. I mean, it's like, it's a lot of information going down. And it, and it, there needs to be, because <laughs> they're about to go back to Italy. Um, the house staff quit, so only Baylock is left with Damien, which is mm-hmm. fine by her. And mom's in the hospital. So he and Jennings go to Italy to find out more about Damien. And let me tell you, what they find out is super chill, as you can imagine. Things like, oh, the hospital he was in burnt down the night he was born, and there was never any record of an adoption here. Oh, but but here, but here's a creepy old church filled with some Star Wars Sids in hoods <laughs> and a silent, half-melted priest who facilitated the adoption, who's just been sitting here melted ever since it happened. Ever since he gave you this baby, he's just been sitting here melted and mute. And like scrawling on the goddamn, like using some fucking sidewalk chalk to communicate with us every once in a while. I was like, they are in the 70s, right? Like, does he need to use like charcoal on a rock? Like, I'm like, there's got to be paper in a monastery, even if it's in the fucking woods or whatever. Like, what is going on? Fucking roll. Like, please whip out a scroll. For this man. <laughs> oh, shit. He's been through enough. And no, they're letting him fucking charcoal it onto the goddamn earth. And then they're like, we actually don't even know what the fuck it says. Because the man is melted. Like, we don't know what he's saying because he doesn't know what he's saying. Because he is melted in this fire <laughs> that was probably caused by your Antichrist baby. He was in there sizzling. Just sizzling. While, the, while the, all the records are just burning up. Nobody, there's no digital documents, of course. Everything's no. like in paper. So no no proof. No proof of any of this happening, of course. No proof at all. And he, and then, you know, Richard or, or Robert and the and Jennings are like, all right, it's cool. Let's go. I think the, the kind of information that we kind of got from this guy is that Damien's real mom is buried somewhere. So let's go to that cemetery real quick. Oh, Lord. And... They do go to the cemetery where his mother's supposed to be, and they pop open that grave, and it's filled with animal bones. But then for some reason, his baby that died in birth is also buried right next to her. 
And so he gets real excited, like, maybe there's animal bones in this too. And maybe that means my son's alive somewhere. No. Instead, what he finds out is his fucking tiny baby was murdered because his skull has a big hole in it. Like, somebody caved in that kid's head. So they could give him Damien. So now he's starting to put it together. And he's like, fuck. Like, this kid might actually be the Antichrist. But not so fast, because first we have to have a bunch of hellhounds come out of nowhere and attack y'all in this fucking cemetery. This cemetery was so fakey fake. I was like, this is like uh, a Jean Roland movie. Like, there's like all these giant dogs, like, breathing, snarling. It looks like, you know, Dracula's castle back here. There's like smoke and you know we're and i'm like it's incredible these fucking dogs again these like italian dogs <laughs> and they're here to cause some damage they're like we will eat you up we will eat your whole life up just in case you got it <laughs> twisted we will eat the bones of your baby we will eat <laughs> like you left that grave open we're hopping in it we're gonna chomp on them bones like we are here to make this as devastating as possible for you have and, you ever? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. You go ahead. I'm having a flashback. Have you ever snuck into a graveyard before? Just out of curiosity. Yeah. But uh, yes, but not like this. Were there ever giant dogs that were no. eating people's flesh? That's like that's a common thing in horror movies too, where it's like dogs are like protecting a graveyard, and I'm like, I've never seen a dog in a graveyard ever. No, like I've seen like a deer and a rabbit in a fucking graveyard. I've never seen a hellhound in a fucking graveyard. It just ain't happening. Italians, I'm telling you. And and sneaking into a graveyard, the only thing scary about it is like your own heartbeat and your own dumb decision that you immediately <laughs> regret. Like, what am I going to get out of this? I'm looking at old stones. Like, I'm not even conjuring anything. Like, I'm just walking through an old grave, in my case. Like, I'm just walking through a fucking graveyard at night. Yeah. What am I getting out of this? Although I will say I had a very, very cool experience in a graveyard when I lived in New York. Um, there's a graveyard in Brooklyn. It's very well known. And they do this night of like, or, you know, every once in a while, somebody will do an event there. And Atlas Obscura did this event that was like the Sun Ra Orchestra played inside of a crypt and like shit like that. It was really cool. Whoa. It was rad. But other than that, if you're not hearing the Sun Ra Orchestra fucking play in a crypt, you gotta be in a graveyard at night and there's no dogs. Yeah, I, I stuck into a graveyard once too and I don't remember shit about it. We were there for maybe five minutes before we saw like the fucking night cop and then <laughs> we all scattered like a bunch of idiots and I jumped over a wall and didn't realize that the wall was the sidewalk out. So I fell on my ass. I basically jumped, oh my God. jumped over a wall and then landed flat on my ass and was just like, okay, I'm an idiot. Like, and the gate was open. I could have just walked through the gate, but well, I decided to jump over the wall. That's the thing. Like when I, when I say I've snuck into a graveyard, I just walked in at night. Yeah. Like the gate was not locked at all. <laughs> so I just walked in and was like, no, and left. Yeah. I don't know why I thought to jump over a wall. Cause and I, the fact that I wasn't like Lee Remick in the hospital with her body cast, her arm cast is a miracle. I, I must've done some bear grill shit where I just like rolled onto the parking lot. Cause I was like, <laughs> yo, that was pretty far down. I could have, you know, had a fucking full body cast, but I guess not. Oh my God. I was young and I survived, baby. Anyway. 
And then you saw the gate just creaking. All my friends were like, oh, we just walked through the gate. You're stupid. <laughs> it's because you watched too many goddamn movies. That's why you wrote this book. And that's why you jumped over the wall. Um, <laughs> and look, Lee Remick's got to go. Like, Baylock comes back to finish his fucking job and kill Mama. Pushes her out of the goddamn hospital window. And this is finally the thing that gets Pops, Robert, to finally be like, okay, this kid's got to die. <laughs> so there i don't want to ruin too much about the end of the movie there is one more incredibly cool death scene oh that is God. hilarious hilarious and then peck gets on a plane gregory peck gets on a plane with a rolled up parcel of ancient knives remember when you could just get on a plane with a rolled up parcel of ancient knives oh god and, and you were in love you were in luxury not yeah. only did you have knives on the plane but you were in a luxurious experience. Exactly. Oh, yeah. He's like eating lobster and cutting it with like, you know, like one of those like crooked stone knives. It's like wavy. Like a wavy stone knife. And he's like, I'm going to cut it with this fucking mega do knife shit before I stab it into my son's. <laughs> my antichrist son's heart. But the end of this movie is goddamn wild. I could talk about it forever, but I'm not going to ruin it because I'm sure there are people out there who haven't seen it. I just think Halloween's coming up. This is a classic. Damien is a very latent killer kid because he's got everyone else out there killing for him, which is, you know, that's a that's a boss. That's still that's still killing. He's like he's getting he's programming people and animals to do his bidding. That's still killing. It's still killing. Yeah. His own family. Like, first he killed that baby. Then he killed his mom. Like, he's just out here just encouraging people to die, which is, that's fucking boss moves right there for a kid. Exactly. If I was six years old, I don't know how old he is in the six, four, five or six, five. I'd be like, I ain't doing shit. Y'all are going to get your hands dirty. Not me. I'm just super innocent. And he doesn't even speak. He doesn't even speak. Anytime he does, it's like, hello, mommy, how are you? Like, it's this creepy fucking, like, weird British kid. I don't want to go, mommy. I don't want to go. We got some creepy kid voices coming up in your movie, too. But I gotta say, (laughs) this one's a fucking classic. Oh, my God. It is good fun. Do not look at this movie if you're like, I would like to watch the greatest horror film of all time. You want to look at it at at a nicely aged Gregory Peck. You want to look at this kid just doing evils. Weird dogs. Like, that's what you want to get into this for is put it on, laugh, um, and have fun with it because it is a riot. Oh, my God. Such a classic. So funny. I think it's hilarious. I'm like Beetlejuice when Beetlejuice says he's seen The Exorcist 167 times and it keeps getting funnier. That's me with The Omen. Like, I'm like, yo, I am not scared of any of this. I should be because I was scared of The Exorcist and, you know, Catholicism shit is weird. But I'm like, this is pound for pound one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. It's so over the top, so stylish. That music cracks me up. Anytime it Uh. kicks in, I start laughing. It's so good. I love this movie. I love it. It's so funny. Oh, God. It's so good. It's so good. And I feel the same way about yours in that as a child, when I first saw this movie, it scared the shit out of me. Oh, yeah. I have not laughed this much in a long ass time. Dude, when it gets there, it 
delivers in such a good fucking way. Like, just get us into it. Get us oh into my it. God. So my movie for the theme of killer kid movies is a movie from 1989 written by Stephen King, directed by Mary Lambert, and it's called Pet Cemetery. Has anyone ever buried a person up there? You're thinking thoughts. That's not thought of. I got no time to dilly-dally, okay? Like... <laughs> Bottom line, like we've discussed many Stephen King movies on this pod, right? We've done Graveyard Shift, The Shining, Misery. We're adding this one to the list finally because it was my entry into Stephen King, personally. Mm -hmm. I have seen this movie countless times. Countless. My sister and I, we have it basically memorized from childhood Okay, like I I've seen this movie so many times it's ridiculous. And like again, it was how I realized who Stephen King was. I mean, I'm sure I probably had some knowledge of him before this, but this was the movie where I really like began to understand his world and his whole thing. Totally. And I did not read the book, but it's okay to do both. Am I right? Okay to it's do both. Fine. So all right, a one-sentence synopsis of Pet Cemetery. A young family moves to rural Maine and experiences a family tragedy that triggers a grieving father to make a horrible decision. So... Absolutely. This family we're talking about is this, is this family called the Creeds, okay? And they are a doctor named Lewis, who is played by the very hunky Dale Midkiff hunky Mm -hmm. he's like a soap opera star in this film you've got the mother named rachel she's played by denise crosby of miracle mile fame Mm -hmm. the sister is ellie and she's played by blaze Burdall, and apparently her twin sister they were twins and they both acted in the film nice and the star of the show the toddler gage who was played by Miko Hughes, who is a, actually a very famous child actor, because if you don't know him by name, you'll know him because he was the little kid in Kindergarten Cop who says, boys have a penis and girls have a vagina. Boys have a penis, girls have a vagina. <laughs> Thanks for the tip. <laughs> Same kid. Absolute legend legend before he was even seven years old absolutely and he was three years old in this movie by the way three years i'm gonna get back to that point in a second but then you have the actual real star of the show for me is the gray family cat named winston churchill who goes by church for short okay so this is the family that has moved to maine okay They actually moved from Chicago. Okay, and legit, this is the third movie, I think, we've discussed on this podcast where somebody moves from Chicago. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah. Footloose, disturbing behavior. There's probably others. Why is everybody in the movies moving from Chicago? I don't know why. In all these horror movies, they're like, let's make it Chicago. Yeah. So the Creeds have just moved from Chicago. On the first day, they show up to this beautiful, like old country style house, like on a country road or whatever. And they meet their across the street neighbor. He's this old school Maine guy. His name is Judd Crandall. And he's played by Herman Munster himself, Fred Gwynn. Okay. And 
The first thing they notice about their new house, okay, is that there are giant 18-wheeler trucks that are just barreling down the road at top speed in front of their house. Okay, we got to talk about this for a second. Right. I wanted to ask you particularly because I feel like, again, I don't know why I, I've never been to, to your town, but I feel like it's sort of like this, right? It's like in this area of the world. And I'm like, are 18-wheeler trucks coming through Danielle's street like this? Like, what is up with this? No, and that's the thing. Like, this is a county road that they're on. It has yeah. to be. Because you wouldn't have an 18-wheeler just cruising down like a regular street like this. Yeah. Out in these parts. So this is a county road. And as such, because it's a county road, and this is where I bring maybe too much realism into this, I feel like there is a duty that that town or city has to putting up signs and guardrails and all kinds of shit that is completely missing Yeah, from this situation. Yeah, this is so intense the, at the speed which these trucks are coming down this road. Where, like, old men and babies live. It's crazy. And animals. Just tons and of animals. animals right. Old men, babies, and they're like, we are going to go 90 and we will let you do that. <laughs> and we're going to blast the Ramones when we're cruising through. Like, no, no fucking judgments of these people, right? So, like, Rachel immediately is like, Judd, what's this trail that's next to the house? Like, do you know where it goes? And eventually he tells them it's the neighborhood pet cemetery because all the pets have been squashed by these 18-wheeler trucks. Like, this is a problem in the area, okay? So, cut to Lewis is at his first day of work and he's the, you know, the doctor at the, like, local university clinic. And his, right at the gate, he's got a guy that was jogging and hit by one of the trucks and he dies uh, like he has a traumatic brain injury and he dies okay this is on lewis's first day at his job and after he passes the the patient is named victor pascal by the way pascal comes back to life like in a in a in a sudden you know reanimation moment and he tells lewis don't bury anything in the area that goes past the pet cemetery because it's a haunted Native American burial site where the ground is sour, as he said, or cursed, okay? So that's a lot of information for Lewis on his first day. He's like, there's a lot, a lot of stuff going on here. You know, I just had my, uh, literally my first patient die on me, and then he's telling me all this stuff. Can but, you imagine having your last breath be in a detailed, intricate story about local lore. <laughs> to a, a stranger. <laughs> yeah, tell my mom I love her. It's like, P.S., if you go past behind the building of where the Kmart used to be, there's <laughs> a bunch of old <laughs> bottles of booze buried under the pavement. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> what a waste of time. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> this story is like five minutes long. Like he oh, could have used that time in a very different way. Oh, I know. And like, here's the thing about Pascal. Okay, Pascal used to terrify the shit out of me as a kid mm -hmm. because you're watching this guy's with a with half of his brain missing, like basically follow the creeds around like a ghost, right? Like he's yes. like he's basically like a good good ghost or something. He's kind of like warding them and protecting them or whatever, but he's gross he his <laughs> eyes are like all whited out he's got like veins popping out of every fucking pore 
And he's got this like tiny little running shorts on. I'm like, this is gross. Like, <laughs> can an angel clean up a little bit? Like, do we need, does it need to go immediately from the fucking bottom end of a tire to like give him a moment to fucking put on a different shirt or something? I don't know. It was terrifying to me. Put a hat on. Put a hat on. I was, I never understood. Like, I was like, I thought he was actually a bad guy when I was a kid because I was like, he's too scary to be a good guy. Yeah. But then later I figured out, oh, he's doing all the good stuff. But, you know, it's just the packaging is totally fucked here with Pascal. Packaging is rough. And also, and this viewing, I got to say, I found Pascal a little annoying where I'm like, they're not listening to you, man. Like, this guy is not listening to you. Just go. You've done your duty. You tried to warn him. Go fly into the heavens. Like, it was a little annoying to me that I'm like, he's, you just keep showing up and freaking me out. And this dude is not listening to you. I know. And he could have been funny. Like Griffin Dunn yeah. and like uh, American Werewolf in London. I'm just like, yes. no, he had to be like creepy with a creepy voice. And, you know, it was just, I mean, <laughs> anyway, I, I had a lot, I had a lot to process about Pascal and I've gotten to a place where I'm now I'm okay with it. Now I'm like, okay, he's fine. But at the time yeah. as a little kid, I was fucking freaked out by him. So predictably, one, uh, one day, Judd calls up Lewis and says, hey, guess what? I think Church the cat got hit by a truck because he's laying in my fucking yard. Because I'm looking at his dead body. <laughs> and there are trucks killing literally everybody and everything. And there's no, nobody from the city has come down to investigate any of it. We're just out here killing lots of things with these trucks. So... You know, Ellie, the the daughter, is, like, super attached to this cat. And Judd decides, I guess he makes the executive decision to go grab a couple of shovels and is like, come with me, Lewis, let's go. He puts the cat in a garbage bag and they go past the pet cemetery where Pascal just told him not to go. He just said it. And also, like, he's doing this while his whole family's in Chicago visiting people and, like, he needs a babysitter. This is a grown man who needs to be watched before he starts making these decisions. Like, yes. he just said, don't go past the pet cemetery. Here comes Fred Gwynn with these shovels. And he's like, yeah, cool. Let's forget that horror show I just saw. Yeah. And Judd takes him to the haunted burial ground. And he's just like, yo, bury this cat here. Literally no other information to follow. It's just like, bury him here. Like, <laughs> why? We just And then the, the funny thing is, is that they keep hiking further and further into the woods and Judd who is an old ass man who smokes cigarettes every five seconds is like yo what's up keep up with me why why are you tired like scale this rock formation like fucking do some parkour here on these branches dude like you're fucking too slow you city boys (laughs) yeah it was it was wild but it was literally like he's just like here's this old man. I'm gonna follow him into the woods and I'm gonna tell him, I'm gonna do exactly what he tells me to do and I have no idea why we're doing this. So guess what? The next day, guess who comes waltzing back to the house? That's right, Winston Churchill the cat. And guess what though? He's a little evil fucker now. Ain't right. He's got glowing eyes and. I cannot say enough things about this fucking cat, okay? There's a part, I swear to God, there's a part, he's my, like, my favorite character in the film, one of them, but probably the actual favorite of the film for me. There's a part towards the end where he's come back, 
He's an evil cat, obviously. But then Lewis actually has to put him down for good. And this cat has like this huge fucking death scene. <laughs> and he's, he sells that shit so hard. Like this cat is selling this death scene like you wouldn't fucking believe. Okay. And oh God, it's so I'll tell cool. you right now, I didn't know this existed until today. Okay. There is an actual documentary about Pet Cemetery that I found. <gasps> And it's called Unearthed and Untold, The Path to Pet Cemetery. Damn. And yeah, it's on, I think it's on Tubi or Amazon Prime or something like that. But I learned a lot of fun things about this cat. Okay. Apparently, there were like nine cats that played him. <laughs> so Church the Cat was played by like nine different cats. And they all stayed in this like little cat trailer that had like oh beds and stuff like on set. It was like their little hollywood trailer for these cats and i love it there's a there's a guy in the documentary that was like no shit these cats were like so good they were like one take cats one take cat actors can you fucking believe that shit i truly can't i truly can't i mean i was like that's right because these are pros like this cat is a pro like you wouldn't believe. And the death scene is is proof. Okay? The death scene is definitely proof because he was like, give me my fucking Oscar. Yeah. He's like slowing down. He's like, oh, <laughs> like, and then he like lifts his like little head and is like, I'm dead, Lewis. You killed me. Like, and that's like, I mean, it is so wild. And he's like, fucking, when he comes back from the from the dead, he is like, his eyes are glowing. He's like, hissing like a motherfucker he's like scratching people he's like jumping from the rafters i mean it's he's incredible so what i love about him coming back from the dead too is that he exists purely to fuck with lewis absolutely he jumps on his face claws out like (laughs) arms akimbo constantly just leaps right onto his face and scratches the fuck out of him like in a cartoon when a cat jumps onto a curtain and slides down that's what he's doing to Lewis's face every five minutes. Dropping rats in the bath. Lewis gets out of that bath and does the fucking Watusi on some dead rat. Yes. And then looks and sees Church and Church is like, mm-hmm. Yeah. That was also me. I don't just scratch faces. I ruin baths. I ruin lives. And meanwhile, the little girl comes home and the cat's like, hi. I'm like, <laughs> I love you. Hello, daddy. I love you. And meanwhile, it's like, Lewis, fuck off. Like, it's the cat is so fucking great. Church is a legend. I mean, I'll tell you too, like this documentary, like uh, it's for the real heads. I'll say that. But they got a lot of people for it. Like all the principals and supporting cast are interviewed. They even have like some, like the like people that have like two fucking lines. They got those people. They got like the Excellent. assistant fucking greens person, like like whomever. Like it was pretty amazing. They got. Mary Lambert, who is so cool, by the way. Yes, if you didn't know, Pet Cemetery was directed by a woman. Okay. Uh-huh. And not only that, but she directed pretty much like every Madonna video in the 80s and Janet Jackson video. She's a legend. Love Mary Lambert. But okay. We gotta get to we gotta get to Zelda. Okay. Cause there's a lot of spooky characters tucked in this film. Most notably is a girl named Zelda. She's, I think, maybe the one that everybody remembers from this film, really. Mm-hmm. So, in the movie, Zelda is Rachel's sister. 
who died of spinal meningitis and was treated pretty horribly by their parents who essentially left her to die Mm-hmm. in a back room while their other eight-year-old daughter was forced to babysit her. So it was like a terrible, like, family situation. And Zelda, the character, was the source of my nightmares for decades. Completely. Decades. Like, if there was two people from film or TV that scared the fucking bejesus out of me, like I couldn't even talk about them, it was Bob from Twin Peaks and Zelda from Pet Cemetery. Those two there you go. are like the prom king and queen of my nightmares. True devastation. Oh my God. And something that I actually did know before I watched the documentary today was that Zelda was actually played by an 18-year-old guy. <laughs> I didn't know that. I did yes. not know that until I started watching this movie and looking at facts because I knew yep. we were going to talk about it. I did yep. not know that. I knew that, like, I knew that maybe it wasn't like I knew it as a child, but I definitely knew it in my adult life. And then he gets interviewed in the documentary and it's fucking great. Damn. Like, it's just so great. And he talks about how he had to sit in the makeup chair for like 24 hours <gasps> or something straight. Um, but let me tell you, he did an incredible job. Like, even watching it, like this week I, I i managed to not avert my eyes but like yeah there was a t- there it was like one of the later zelda scenes where she kind of comes back from the corner she's like creeping oh. in the corner i was like I, I as a 43 year old woman i don't know if i can even handle this now exactly she's like creeping and you hear her voice before you see her yes so you're like scanning the room looking for her yes and then she just pops up and is like, what's up? And you're like, holy <laughs> fuck, it's still scary after all. Zelda remains the only part of this movie that I don't laugh at because it's still legitimately scary to me. Oh, yeah. There's like, I mean, it's tears all the way. So, okay. Church comes back from the dead. And then absolute tragedy strikes the family because Gage, the toddler, is running around outside during a picnic He runs into the street and he is hit by a fucking truck. Now, this was dark as shit in 1989. And I gotta say, it's still pretty dark. Like, crazy. It's pretty dark. The entire movie is completely darked out beyond this moment because, I mean, Rachel's asshole dad punches Lewis out during the funeral. I mean, don't even get me started. The casket goes flying. I mean, it is like fucking grade A madness. This family is destroyed beyond belief. Lewis and his grief is doing the thing. You're like, don't do it, Lewis. Don't do it, Lewis. Like even Judd's like, yo, I know I I set you up for this, but don't don't do it. Don't put Gage in that burial ground. Mm. And when I tell you that all hell breaks loose after he puts that baby in the burial ground, this is when Miko Hughes goes from like a precocious adorable like little three-year-old actor to a fucking legend (laughs) (laughs) he comes back in a little burial tuxedo like putting on the writ style (laughs) except his little cane is a scalpel (laughs) he is looking like little lord fauntleroy with like a blue suit top hat top hat what the fuck 
velvet tie like he's just like what's the fuck up i'm gonna walk into legendary status right now okay the actor is three years old okay (laughs) this kid i mean you think the cat was selling it (laughs) this kid he comes back he's a stone cold killer he's slicing people's ankles he's biting people's throats he bit judd's throat He's jumping out of the attic doors like, ha! (laughs) And like his dad's a doctor. He grabs his dad's medical bag, grabs a scalpel. He's like stabbing people to death. And perhaps the best part is that he's out here taunting people with his baby voice. (laughs) Like, it ain't enough that he cut someone's Achilles tendon off. (gasps) <gasps> but he's like, hey, 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 scared you, didn't I? Like, oh, like <laughs> he's like a three-year-old Freddy Krueger. He's got bars. He's got fucking bars. What? Like, oh god! How they get this three-year-old kid to say this shit is beyond me. Now I want to play with you, ah, Casey. You got to put that clip in. First, I played with Jed. <laughs> then, mommy came, and I played with her. Now to play with you. First I played with Dad, then Mommy came, and I played with Mommy. We played, Daddy. We had an awful good time. Now I want to play with you. You know, it's like, <laughs> there were like so many points where he's just like, hey, 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 hey. Like, he's just like <laughs> laughing in your fucking face. Because you can't find him, because he's tiny. He's tiny. He's somewhere. This is the beauty of the killer baby in a horror movie is they are wily. You yes. cannot track them. He's under chairs. He's under a bed. He's popping out from above you, behind you, around you. He's everywhere. Yeah. And he's like, again, in his like blue velvet suits. Like, so he looks real nice. He's like spiffed. And then there were parts where he's like crawl out of space and it's clearly a puppet. Like, they were like, this. <laughs> As much as this kid is a pro and he is selling it within an inch of his life, there are just simply things we can't get him to do. And so we're just going to switch to a puppet and that'll be fine. We'll figure it out later. Also, those child laws are are real. Like, he could probably only work like three hours a day. Oh, I know. He's like, okay, you got to kill your kill your neighbor, kill this person. Like, they're like, you got your shot list is huge. So we're just going to have to get a a rubber baby. Uh, that's snarling. It's like a baby that's like snarling under the bed. It's so oh, fucking funny. And I am, I, I dare not give away the ending of this film, but I got to tell you the, the, the end fight with his dad is like biblically good. <laughs> like it's so good. And like, I mean, people are getting thrown up against the wall. I'm like, and like his shit Oh my God, at the end of the movie, Gage, his like swan song is so amazing. Like you're like, this little kid (laughs) needs an honorary Oscar for this film. There's, I can't think of one kid at three years old that touches him in terms of talent. Come on. No, it's not happening. The, the, The facial expressions, they got this kid to snarl. A three-year-old snarling is fucking hilarious. Like, they just got teeth. 
<laughs> and he taught him how to snarl. Dude, he's he's a legend. And I mean, like, I and he, and Miko Hughes is like in the documentary, and of course he's like a cool adult. Of you course. know, like he looks cool and is like, I'm just like, man, what a fucking talent. I mean, this that's the thing about when I was thinking about this theme, I was like, there is literally no other killer kid that I know of that is as good as this gauge. Gage is like a legendary killer baby. I can't even came out the it. gate. Came out the gate with the best in the biz. And I love <laughs> that you picked this. And I love that I think I truly think this is one of our best double features. And I'm so excited we got to laugh about these movies that used to be terrifying to us. Yeah. Because a kid a killer baby is just funny. I, I'm I gotta tell you, like it was like it was such a fucking great, fun double feature night. Like when I watched, cause I watched the Omen first mm-hmm. and it was just like, it was so funny and it put me in this great mood to watch pet cemetery. And I was like, Oh my God, this is like so fun. These little babies, both in these like weird little uh, suits, these like little baby suits. And they're just like evil, evil little babies in their baby suits. God, it made me laugh so hard. They're both at one point just dressed like Angus from ACDC. Yes! <laughs> like, uh, you could give him a knife or a guitar and I'd buy it. Oh my God. Dude, I had such a blast. Everyone have a happy Halloween. It's going to be fun. We need a good Halloween this year. Uh, be safe. Have fun. Uh, maybe watch our, you know, in, well, as you're recovering from your Halloween shenanigans, you can watch the movies that we have for you next week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Quite a tone shift. Kind of a 180. What are the movies for the next episode? Uh, next week, you gotta watch When Harry Met Sally from 1989 and High Fidelity from the year 2000. Holy crap. Guess the theme after Halloween. Guess the or theme. Hop on Wondery Plus and listen to it right now. Oh, that's true. That's true. But this was the best. I can't wait till next week. My yeah. apologies again to the Peck family per u- as per usual. <laughs> Danielle's made it figure- very clear how they feel about your grandfather. Very I will try clear. to one day discuss your great gramps. Papa. <laughs> your papa. Without being a gross pig. Well, as always, if you if you want to email us, we're at I saw what you did pod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on our socials at I saw pod on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and while you're out there looking at social media, why don't you leave us a five star review? Yes, please. Leave us a five star review and be be sweet and write Sam El- Elmo's fire. We'll take it, obviously. Well, we did. We asked for something else too the last time or a couple episodes ago. But what should we ask for this time? If you if you're going to leave us a five star review and you don't know what to say, maybe say right. Type in now. I want to play with you. <laughs> that sounds incredible. That would make me laugh so hard if I saw that. So do it. Do it. Thank you guys so much. As always, a fucking pleasure to do this podcast with you, Danielle. The best. Such a good time. See you later. Bye.
This has been an Exactly Right production, produced and mixed by Casey O'Brien. Our theme song is by Tom Bryfogel, artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, and Daniel Kramer. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ISawPod. And you can email us at ISawWhatYouDidPod at Gmail. Follow I Saw What You Did on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the show. And visit ExactlyRightStore.com to purchase I Saw What You Did merch.